and I'm delighted to say now joined by John Bonfilio in uh, Mexico to have a look at what's uh, going on in Latin uh, America. Uh, John, a uh, very good evening to you. Hey Martin, how are you? I'm fine, yourself? Yeah, not too bad, thank you, not too bad. Yeah, sounding good. Is it uh, still sweltering there? I suspect it is. The temperature's dropped a little bit over the course oh. of the last three or four days, so we're now in the mid-30s, mid in the balmy mid-30s, hint, hint of a breeze, so generally happy or happier than we were a week ago yes. when we were hovering in the 40s and, uh, and sweat dripping off us from dawn till dusk. Yeah. Well, we, we can't avoid talking about Bolsonaro just to start with. Um, he, uh, a story I read this week said that uh, uh, the president, Bolsonaro, said uh, he's not following directives from the World Health Organization. And this is bizarre. He's not following the WHO because the group promoted masturbation for children under four. Bizarre claim. Uh, apparently he posted the claim on uh, Facebook before quickly deleting them. Uh, the WHO guidance that he cited is in fact aimed at parents educating their children. It says that children between two and four could become curious about their bodies. That's all they said. And um, Bolsonaro seems to have uh, completely, you know, taken two and two and adding them up to 57. Uh, well, that's pretty well par for the course, isn't it? It is. He's, I was thinking before speaking to you that he's, he's got something... Or rather, maybe every time that we speak on your show now, Martin, it feels as though we're doing like a greatest hits package of yeah. uh, Bolsonaro's last last week. But you know how when a band gets too successful and the greatest hits package becomes so unwieldy that you don't know where to begin? I feel yeah. that that's where we are with Bolsonaro. Is there's just so much going on on a day-to-day -day basis that um, there's just too much to, to kind of list. So in my listing of, of, of his um, greatest hits of the week, that that masturbation uh, skits didn't even didn't even make the cut. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, but you're, you're absolutely right. It, he's just off the chart now, which would yeah. be funny and ridiculous if it wasn't actually um, leading directly to the deaths uh, of so many people in in Brazil. I mean, the figures yeah. are bad enough, but we, as we spoke about last week as well, we we know that the, the figures in right across Latin America have to be taken with with a pinch of salt. And I was doing some sums between numbers of dead and average dead in in Brazil and uh, the numbers of, of, of people that are being buried and death certificates being issued um, earlier on in the day. And we're looking at between 15 and 20 times um, the rate of uh, COVID infections and deaths that are currently being reported uh, in Brazil. So where they've got 100,000 um, infections, you're basically looking at, you know, one and a half million conservatively are probably infected and, every, and everything else that, that leads to that. So, I mean, the, the, the terrible news story of the last week in Brazil has been Manaus. There's been the, the Amazon city, which a lot of your listeners will know from the, the England-Italy World Cup match in, oh, yeah, yeah. in 2014. You know, it was famous and it was in the news there for, for a period of sweltering city. Um, but there they're, they're digging trenches to bury the dead. And, and for a while earlier on in the week, they were piling the dead on top of each other. Uh, because they didn't have enough manpower to dig the the burial sites until families complained and they went back to a standard, uh, you know, kind of kind of modus operandi um, there. But it's it's an absolutely horrific situation. And the mayor has said that uh, went on record a couple of days ago and said that it wasn't a state of emergency; it's a state of utter disaster that they are living through yeah. there. 
Yeah, I mean, I read some of these stories. Uh, uh, this this woman waited for three hours in a line of hearses uh, to obtain a death certificate to be able to bury her eight-year-old grandfather who died at dawn in his home of uh, of the disease. And uh, it's a similar, if not quite as bad as that. It's quite an extreme situation, isn't it, in Manaus? But it, it's uh, it's almost as bad in other places in Brazil. Yeah, absolutely. And and and, and I mean the. The chat now or the way people are speaking about Brazil and specifically Manaus, but obviously it is, you know, bad elsewhere as, as well, is that it's the new Guayaquil, the new, you know, horror site in Ecuador, um, where actually there's been some interesting hospital stories emerging from both spaces recently that the situation in Guayaquil was so out of control that they've lost track of living and dead bodies. So people who there was one particular gentleman who was brought into hospital on the 9th of March um, and was given a death certificate a couple of weeks later and his son turned up to pick him up um, a couple of days ago and the body wasn't there anymore and the guy had apparently, um, he was in the morgue and he'd got himself out and just walked uh, walked out of the hospital because there's such a high rate of, um, of death that the living are literally uh, cohabiting with, with the dead and nobody has any, any recourses to no- knowing quite who is what and what is what in in that context and equally the, the some of the videos that i've been sent out of out of brazil today with um with makeshift uh ventilators you know people's heads in plastic bags and so on and again literally wards of living and dead side by side because the the infrastructure in the hospitals and in the health centers just does not have anywhere to put the dead as as things stand it is uh, i i mean we often say in the news cycle right the things are unprecedented Mm. This really is completely unprecedented. That is a, a nightmare, I mean, quite literally a nightmare scenario. Uh, let's try and lighten it up a bit with the, a story from Costa Rica, uh, which is quite fascinating, really. It's uh, a suburb of the capital, San Jose, uh, called Curidabat, I think I pronounced it almost yep, right. that's correct. Yeah, where they're... Uh, they're they're sort of organising their urban planning there uh, around the non-human inhabitants. So they're taking uh, taking account of hummingbirds, bees, bats, etc., etc., uh, to to sort of reimagine the layout of the of the suburb. So tell me more about this. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and that's where the, the sobriquet, the nickname "Sweet City" for Curida Bat has has come from, because they've um, essentially decided that this planning isn't just going to be non-human but it's also going to be based around um around pollinators um i I guess important to contextualize that this isn't just as though you know a local populace has decided that they're going to change um protocol entirely around uh, around the suburb and and they've brought it to, to bear costa rica contextually in central america is already a regional anomaly it's uh uh, set itself up as being an in- environmental forerunner, really progressive environmental policy now for for a number of years. It runs on 98% um, energy renewables, and it set itself up as as hopefully going completely decarbonised by by 2050. And it, it gets a lot of money in, essentially primarily from ecotourism, in particular from from the US and Canada. So it's managed to make that a, um, a success story, and and as a result, its population. You know, wherever they they live, whether it be in a in a city or in a rural space, have grown up with these policies now for a couple of generations and are very pro the policies. It can speak 
positively about them. So, so it's it's more like an incremental growth towards this particular kind of reimagining of of urban planning rather than a complete U-turn. But as you say, interesting that it's had wholesale support in and around the the population in in this suburb of San Jose. Uh, about. And the general thinking is that if you focus planning on non-human inhabitants, that it actually is more likely to have significant human net benefits in, for example, the case of temperature. If you don't build with as much concrete and there's more trees and vegetation, then temperature is, is going to go down. It's going to be generally better for mental for the mental health, um, quality of the inhabitants in that space, quality of life is going to improve. Uh, and, and so on. So I guess interesting in, in and of itself that it's it's a success story in terms of the thing that, that's been taking place and what's been imposed. But also there's been no pushback at all from the from the population who've generally just taken it on as a as a next positive step towards a reimagining of, of their urban environment. Yeah, I, I suppose if you if your living depends a fair bit on ecotourism, you're going to be more inclined to do that kind of. I mean, we don't hear much about uh, Costa Rica, um, you know, within the politics. So you know, we're always hearing about Venezuela. We're obviously always hearing about Brazil and Argentina. We very rarely hear much about Costa Rica. Is that one of its main um, economic drivers, if you like, ecotourism? Yeah, it very much is. I mean, that's where. How it's how it set itself up. Um, one of the safest countries, certainly in Central America, but more widely in in, in Latin America. Low, low rates of crime, low rates of uh, of pollution, high rates of literacy and education, and so on. Very famous for not having a standing army as well. And I mean, to some extent, it's able to not have a standing army because it's got such a close relationship with the U.S. Um, and there's so many U.S. citizens that do a kind of overseas stays there that. That nobody's going to invade Costa Rica, you know, um, for for love nor money. Um, but certainly that that's how it's it's repositioned itself, if you like, and, and very successfully, uh, very successfully so in the region. So does anybody ever call it the Switzerland of uh, Latin America? They must do. I will, I will ask my Costa Rican friends <laughs> and, and, and let you know next week. What, what well, I'm dubbing it well, because, of the, yeah, because of the neutrality and everything else. I'm dubbing it either the Sweden or the Switzerland of uh, Latin America because it is so different from the stories that we normally hear from you uh, of corruption and uh, you know and chaos, etc., and uh, uh, and all the rest yeah. of it. And, and as you say, and that's one of the reasons why we never hear about Costa Rica because. Um, Largely speaking, unfortunately, the news cycle follows, you know, death, disaster, mayhem. So that's those are the things we we tend to to speak about. But for sure, that there's a lot of different, um, especially in these kind of, I mean, all the talk, talk is of coronavirus and COVID at the moment. But obviously, you've got we've got this parallel environmental climate change disaster, which which is you know hasn't gone away anywhere, which is which is still lurking in the in in the background. So I feel that there are a lot of different initiatives taking place um, across the region, which are really positive and important to try and bring to to the fore every so, so often and certainly as a country costa rica certainly does seem to have its um its politics right in terms of its progressive vision towards towards the future indeed uh thank you ever so much for joining us john uh do appreciate it have a have a good week and, and hopefully we can talk to you again next week brilliant take take care martin uh, that's uh, John Bonfilio joining us from uh, Mexico to look at the world uh, of Latin America. Now, uh, 